Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us today. I am very excited about this show because we're going to be talking about a topic that we cannot live without, and that's water. Uh, If you go to drought.gov, there you will see right on the home page that over 60% of the United States is abnormally dry right now. Well, how that happens, you know, that's going to happen. But if you drill down even further, you can see that 27% of the U.S. is in a severe drought. And then one more layer, almost 20% of the United States is in extreme drought right now. And that means that all the water that we drink, all the water that we use for so many different purposes, even to include some of the things that we manufacture and the foods that we eat, water's in everything. That fresh, clean water that we need is in short supply in a lot of places in the United States. And so today we're going to be talking about recycled water and we're going to be talking about the science behind it. We're going to be talking about the utility of it. And we have two amazing guests who are going to help us break this down. We have Patrick Shields, the general manager of the West Basin Municipal Water District in Southern California. And we have Stephen Katz and he's a market development manager at Suez Water Technologies and Solutions. Patrick, we're going to start with you. Welcome to Go Green Radio. Uh, As I mentioned, you're the general manager of the West Basin Water District, and we have a lot of listeners outside of California who may not understand how water works in California. So help us understand all the different ways that your water district procures the water that it provides to residents and businesses in your jurisdiction. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Jill. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Yes, so uh, our agency was uh, formed, West Basin Municipal Water District was formed back in 1948 with the uh, express purpose of securing new sources of uh, drinking water for a um, a growing community um, post-World War II uh, in uh, South uh, Los Angeles County. And uh, currently we serve um, almost uh, a million people in about a 185-square-mile area mostly south of LAX, to just give you sort of a context of where we are. Um, and we, uh, we supply drinking water, and now, of course, we are a provider of recycled water, which we'll be talking about on this show. Um, so Southern California's situation is uh, quite unique when it comes to um, water supply and water supply reliability. We rely heavily on imported water. And uh, what, what does that mean? So when the local water supplies, the groundwater supplies after post-World War II and even before were not enough to um, sustain the population growth and demands on the system just from, from the wells, water had to be imported from great distances, namely uh, Northern California um, from the Sierras and from Lake Shasta and from the Colorado River Basin. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Um, without this in, imported water, as a matter of fact, it, there wouldn't be a Los Angeles as we know it today. So mm-hmm. we reliant very, very much on that, um, on that imported water. Now, since the 1990s, on the heels of uh, a severe drought, uh, several years of drought, uh, seven or eight years in a row, um, West Basin recognized very quickly the value of recycling uh, essentially treated sewer water. 
that otherwise would go to the uh, Santa Monica Bay and the Pacific uh, Ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the uh, great foresight uh, of our policy and uh, leaders back then, um, the agency invested uh, in uh, putting together and, and constructing a recycled water program and all the infrastructure that goes with that and, and funding it. And today we produce five types of, of custom-tailored or or fit for purpose recycled water. One of the leaders mm-hmm. in the in the in the region and uh, and actually in the world. And so, for every gallon of you know that West Basin recycles, that means a gallon of drinking water saved for our homes and businesses. And it's one less gallon that you have to import. Mm-hmm. Um, and drinking water, you know, um, imported from hundreds of miles away, like I mentioned, it doesn't need to be used uh, uh, once. It can be treated and, and reused several times. The days of just uh, once through use are fast coming to an end. So that's a little bit of the, um, the background um, on, on, you know, uh, our water supply uh, kind of portfolio, uh, mm-hmm. importing water, which we're trying to reduce and replace as much of it as possible with recycled water. We also have a very, very aggressive water conservation program, which is the best way, even before you get to recycling, uh, don't waste it in the first place. So we have, we have a very, very aggressive uh, uh, conservation program throughout our entire uh, service area. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, it's complicated. And I think that, you know, a lot of water districts in, in California get that. There are a lot of folks who, you know, live in other places where water supply is a little bit less uh, complicated and diverse in terms of their portfolio. So that is really helpful to set the stage for the rest of our conversation today and why recycled water is so important. Stephen, welcome to the show. You work for Suez Water Technologies and Solutions. Tell us a little bit about how your company works with a water district like Patrick's. Tell us how your work helps Patrick do his work. Yeah, thanks, Jill, for having us. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Um, Well, Suez is a global water and waste company. So in North America, Suez is dedicated to solving water challenges with solutions that incorporate technologies, chemistry, and outsource services. Um, We also operate utilities in six states, delivering more than 2.5 million gallons, uh, or sorry, 2.5 million people with safe drinking water. Um, we operate and maintain more than 70 water and wastewater facilities in the U.S. and Canada. The Edward C. Little Water Reclamation Facility, owned by West Basin, um, is, is an example of this. And Suez and West Basin have had a 25-year partnership where Suez has been the plant operator. Um, and not only have we been the operator, but we've also been a partner in innovation at that award-winning facility. And we're currently working on other solutions being implemented at West Basin at their satellite treatment facilities. Mm -hmm. You know, Patrick, in February of 2019, the Los Angeles mayor announced that the city would recycle 100% of its wastewater by 2035. And I can imagine that, you know, some of our listeners in other parts of the country who get their water from things like their own private wells may be completely confounded by news like this. Help us understand why recycling wastewater is so important for a city like L.A., yeah, that's a great question, and our good friend uh, Eric Garcetti, Mayor Eric Garcetti, is on the forefront of um, the greeting of L.A. and uh, <clears throat> the recycling of all of the wastewater in Los Angeles. That initiative is a very important part of that. And uh, actually, and uh, this is, of course, to echo a little bit of what I said in my answer to your first question, um, we're very prone to drought. 
uh, and were at the um, Governor Newsom just uh, recently last week declared a drought emergency in the state of California. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, like I said, we're relying heavily on this imported water in Southern California. So, <clears throat> actually, we have actually been recycling water with the city for a long time. Our recycled water is sourced from the city of L.A.'s treated sewage. Um, so we've been, we've been partnering with them on that um, uh, for the past uh, 30 years. We're now going to the, um, the mayor wants to take it to the next level. So all available all available water that could be recycled. Uh, the uh, the goal is to have that fully in place by 2035. Uh, it's absolutely key, you know, for uh, the uh, sustainability of our communities. As we know, we, we cannot just have the water imported, use it, and flush it out of the ocean. It doesn't make any economic sense, and it's just not, uh, it's no longer viable. And so, uh, like I said, currently we were taking water from the city of L.A., so we're actually buying it. That's, just, that's mm-hmm. the, the uh, kind of uh, underscores the nature of water in California. We're buying mm-hmm. sewer water and then treating it further uh, to uh, meet specific customer needs in our, in, our, um, in our service area. And so the city, uh, you know, the city of L.A. recognizes this, you know, enormous potential and value that I just spoke of, and they are proceeding now with um, what they call Operation Next. That's what the mayor has uh, tagged this uh, initiative as, to um, recycle the balance. And so as uh, more and more, uh, you know, water projects come online, it will be important, you know, to increase. It's very important we increase regional collaboration on water management Mm -hmm. across our systems because L.A. is quite complex. There are a lot of water agencies, (laughs) not just the city of L.A. So So uh, it's... um, so to create West Basin's recycled water, uh, we, we took a tremendous amount of trust and partnership with numerous stakeholders at federal, state, and local levels, including our, our, our good partners at the city of L.A. So mm-hmm. I hope that answers uh, your question about the mayor's initiative, which I, I, we fully endorse. It's a great, great initiative. Absolutely. Stephen, you know, I'd like for you to spend a couple of minutes talking to us about how nature recycles water and how does the man-made process of recycling water compare to that process? Oh, yeah. Well, Jill, the, I think it, this, on this one, the really important thing for people to understand and ground themselves on is the fact that water is a finite resource. And really, the water we have today is the water we had millions of years ago. And that means that all water's really recycled. Um, when you think about recycling in nature, we really romanticize with the natural water cycle where water evaporates, it forms clouds, and then it returns through rain or, or snow. Um, the true water cycle that we look at today has a tremendous human footprint attached to it, and it makes it much more complex. We include elements like groundwater or surface water extractions, industrial facilities, pollution, wastewater generation. Therefore, it's really hard to kind of pull apart man from recycling by nature today. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, we, we do do it using man-made processes. And, you know, these various technologies that we'll implement at reclamation sites remove target contaminants um, with the core tenets of really ensuring public health protection and environmental protection, right? And these, mm-hmm. these technologies are tasked with removing elements um, that will be, like, deleterious or have deleterious impacts on, on downstream environments. Um, those include organic matter, 
high nutrient loads, particulates, trace chemical constituents, pathogens, dissolved salts, and we'll stitch together multiple technologies and put these together in flow sheets to achieve the, the treatment goals. Well, and, and we're going to dive into the science of this a little bit more in detail. But first, we've got to take a quick commercial break. So don't go away, folks. We've got much more with Patrick and Stephen right after this commercial break. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. And if you've just tuned in, let me catch you up. Our guests today are Patrick Shields, the general manager of the West Basin Water District, and Stephen Katz, and he is with Suez Water Technologies and Solutions. And our topic today is recycled water. And Patrick, I know that your water district offers five different types of recycled water. I'd love for you to talk to us about the various applications for each type of the recycled water um, offerings that you give your your jurisdiction. Okay, thank you, Jill. I'll <clears throat> try to walk through this really quickly, and I'm not overly uh, technically, I hope, but um, yeah, we do have the distinction. We uh, actually are a claim to fame, the only agency in the world that makes five different uh, customer-specific specific, and what we call fit-for-purpose recycled waters uh, uh, from sourced from wastewater. And really what that's saying is not every recycled water is the same. It doesn't have to be treated to quite the same level depending on the application. So let's start with the easy one. Obviously, um, and, and we only make recycled water if the customer has a demand for it. We don't make it to store it and put it somewhere else 
it actually goes to directly to a use and, and relieves the pressure on, on the drinking water supply, which, as I mentioned earlier, is largely reliant on imported water. So the first uh, type of water is really for irrigation. So anywhere, a golf course, um, a green patch at, at high school, and, uh, highway medians, um, any kind of uh, um, green area that would require irrigation normally from potable we treat water up to what we call Title 22 standards, and mm-hmm. that involves a primary, secondary, tertiary treatment, three levels of treatment. The first two happen at the city of LA. We provide the polishing of the tertiary treatment for that for that um, final step to make it suitable for these applications. In fact, one of our most recent uh, customers that signed up was the SoFi Stadium, the home of the uh, Los Angeles Rams and uh, the, the Chargers. So all the green areas in and around that stadium are all now on recycled water. That's in the city of Inglewood. Um, and um, that water is treated through a series of biological and physical purifying steps to, to make it uh, good for that purpose. Another area we use it in is in cooling towers. So we have large industrial customers that uh, use uh, considerable amounts of water in cooling towers, which are very uh, prevalent uh, both in, in the industrial and uh, private areas of, of uh, in Southern California. So we've been able to replace the cooling tower water uh, with recycled water, the cooling tower water that was historically um, uh, potable water or imported water mm-hmm. is now recycled water, and we have to go through some stuff. We, in this case, in our case, we remove ammonia from the water to make it um, suitable and fit for that particular purpose. And then we have a couple of kind of really high-end uh, industrial applications for low-pressure and uh, high-pressure uh, boiler feed applications. This is like high-pressure boiler feed is essentially distilled water, and th- mm-hmm. those that kind of water requires being treated through reverse osmosis, uh, mm-hmm. not just once, but sometimes twice, what we call double pass to relieve that, uh, to uh, produce that very, very high level uh, quality of water. And that would go to our refineries, as does the cooling tower. We have some very large refineries, Chevron, Marathon, and formerly Mobile in, in, uh, in our service area. So those are mm-hmm. big customers, big, big, big water users that a lot of their industrial processes now switch to... Um, to uh, recycled water. And lastly, and I would say most importantly, um, we, um, as a coastal agency, we're very prone to seawater intrusion. In other words, as the mm-hmm. population grew after World War II very rapidly, the groundwater was sucked down, more and more wells were drilled, and the seawater came in and, and contaminated a lot of our drinking water supply that was in the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the 60s, we created a barrier. There was a barrier of wells from LAX south about uh, 12 miles to pump drinking water, if you can imagine this, but to build a wall of water to stop the seawater coming in. Oh. All of that water is now recycled water. It was historically about 20 million gallons a day, every day, of water wow. just pumped into the, into the ground to keep the seawater out. And um, now, since 1995, we've replaced that with, uh, with, uh, with uh, recycled water. And importantly, I'll close on this. That water is our highest level of treatment. It has the tertiary treatment. It has uh, reverse osmosis. It has disinfection with UV. Um, and it's essentially drinking water. It meets all primary and secondary drinking water standards because it's going into the ground. And about 90% of that barrier water will actually makes, it way, makes its way into the groundwater and ultimately into uh, uh, drinking supplies from that source. Mm-hmm. So those are the five... Um, the five types, very, 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 very unique, um, uh, you know, very, very unique uh, setup in our case, uh, not, not 
duplicated too many places around the world, mm-hmm. but a lot of people have come from all over the world to look at exactly what we're doing and how this works because it's, it's becoming a model, I think, for future recycled water programs. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so sophisticated and, and really complex. I'd love to come down and take a look at some of your facilities one of these days. I'm up in NorCal. Please do. St- <laughs> All right, I will. And Stephen, I, I want to ask you to help us understand the difference between indirect potable reuse and direct potable reuse. For sure, Jill. Um, so potable reuse being the intentional use of recycled wastewater for, for drinking water purposes. Um, when we look at indirect potable reuse, um, this involves the blending of purified water with an environmental system or a buffer, um, such as a reservoir, groundwater basin, or river. Um, when, we, when we go to direct potable reuse, this involves directing this purified water into either the feed to a potable water treatment facility or directly into the distribution of that potable water supply. Um, really, the key difference between the two is, is having an engineered storage, um, so tanks um, or, or limited storage versus an, an environmental storage. Um, an interesting thing on this topic, though, is really where the industry's going from a nomenclature perspective, because we're, we're trying to pull back a bit from just saying indirect or direct potable reuse and, and looking at, at where, um, what we're augmenting to, to ensure the appropriate quality and public health protection. So for indirect, that being groundwater augmentation or surface water or reservoir augmentation, mm-hmm. and in a direct means, you're looking at raw water augmentation, so that's the, the feed to the drinking water facilities or the treated drinking water augmentation, which mm-hmm. would be directly blending. Um, in the state of California, you have regulations that exist today for groundwater augmentation, surface water augmentation, and the state is, is working hard um, with multiple stakeholders to develop regulations specific to direct potable reuse in the, in the coming years. I believe 2023 yep. is the, the target. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been following that. And I, as a California resident, I mean, this is something that is really starting to come up into the public's um, view. I mean, of course, not everybody is, is thinking about these things, but I think ultimately we will need to. Um, Patrick's, you know, in communities like actually my own, um, we have quite a bit of PFAS, um, you know, that's in our groundwater. And one of the things that we talk about up here in NorCal is that a lot of people have PFAS in their wastewater. I mean, if you're washing your, you know, Gore-Tex raincoat, you could end up releasing PFAS into your wastewater. And so uh, the question I have is, do we have the technology to remove those tiny, tiny, tiny little particles uh, from our wastewater before we either inject the recycled water into the ground or deliver it as drinking water? I mean, how does PFAS in wastewater translate to clean, potable water that we could could end up drinking? Yes, Joe, that is the very, one of the very hottest topics in the water um, business, not just in, in Northern California, but around the country. The emergence of the, the PFAS or what a group of uh, uh, chemicals known as forever chemicals. I mean, they stick around. Uh, they're hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
the question is your question is do we have the um you know the technology to remove it i believe we do absolutely uh west basin for instance as it pertains to our recycled water um that we put into the seawater barrier which is building on what Stephen said, that's a form of indirect potable reuse. It mm-hmm. goes into the uh, bar- uh, barrier to keep the seawater out, but about 90% of it actually will migrate into the drinking water supply. So we do uh, monitor very closely for, uh, you know, per and polyfluoroalkyl uh, substances. Uh, don't try to say that too fast. <laughs> um, you know, recycle water to the barrier. And we, of course, employ uh, reverse osmosis, uh, in, and which removes these, any compounds uh, uh, in the PFAS realm and is one of the recommended treatments, actually, by regulators and, um, and experts. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, uh, and, of course, if the EPA is uh, looking closely at what should the maximum contaminant level be for PFAS, what is the right level, and then, of course, that will drive what is the necessary uh, treatment. But uh, right now, reverse osmosis will, will remove it. Got it. Thank you so much. Stephen, just give us some idea of what happens to wastewater if it isn't recycled. What are we talking about in terms of the alternatives to recycling our wastewater? Well, it goes back to the earlier point that really all the water is recycled. Um, but what wastewater offers us is a real opportunity um, that's local and within really the battery limits of a watershed. So the real opportunity is, as Patrick was alluding to earlier, the, you're conserving a freshwater resource, so um, you, you don't need to bring in or import or, 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 or do anything to get that. You just recycle it in that local environment. And the other piece is that wastewater is normally treated to higher standards, um, with recycling, so there's a substantial benefit to the to the environment as well. So, um, like I said, you know, West Basin accomplishes this. Every drop recycled is a drop less that they import, um, right? And also, mm-hmm. that wastewater, if it wasn't recycled, would be discharged into the ocean, um, which, if you were to try to reclaim that later, would be a lot more costly um, than than the mechanisms that are used right now. Yep. Absolutely. I know that in my area of Northern California, if we're not recycling the water, it actually gets pumped over some pretty tall hills, like mini mountains, and out into the San Francisco Bay. And again, you know, once it gets there, if we were trying to reclaim it, the the cost and the, the infrastructure needed to clean that water um, would just be enormous um, and, and pretty... I think quite a, a bigger burden on taxpayers than if we kept it nearby and cleaned it up and recycled it on this side of all those hills, you know? Yeah, definitely. Conveyance is a, is, is a huge cost today um, when we're looking at water, right? Moving it around to where it's needed. Um, so with wastewater, you are, you're, you're local and you're generally where it's being used as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking much more about this important topic of recycling our water. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in. Our guests today are Patrick Shields, the general manager of the West Basin Water District, and Stephen Katz, who is with Suez Water Technologies and Solutions. And we are so glad to have you both on because we're talking about the, the science and the uses of recycled water and why this is such an important topic to be covering, particularly, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, when... 60% of the U.S. is abnormally dry, and about 30% of the U.S. is in a severe drought at the moment. And this isn't expected to be a, a one-and-done situation. These kinds of dry conditions are expected to be more the norm than the exception over the coming decades. Um, Patrick, I want to go to you. In some places in the U.S., a shortage of water supply can slow or even halt housing and economic development. What role do you think recycling water could play in helping communities overcome the barrier of water supply deficits? Um, I would say, Jill, it's a sort of critical. It's uh, critical in some parts of, of the country right now, like in the, in the Southern California, and um, it's going to continue to grow. But with the, uh, what you just touched on there, with the uncertainties brought on by droughts and climate change, uncertainties in terms of uh, the reliable supply of water, especially if you're importing it, uh, every drop counts. So you, there's no more, we don't have the luxury of single use and letting it go. So to make our, um, you know, our communities economically you know, viable and sustainable, uh, we absolutely have to maximize uh, the use of recycled water. Um, and you, the communities, and it's not just the agency that I work at now, but the 
other agencies that I've worked in in Southern California really are all doing the same thing. They are expanding their water supply portfolio with recycled water as a means to uh, to secure the water future. And and recycling allows us to do that by by off, offsetting the need to. In, well, particularly in our case, uh, importing drinking water from hundreds of miles away. And again, every gallon uh, you know a community is able to recycle means a gallon of drinking water saved for homes and businesses. That's that's so important. You know, Stephen, as I mentioned, I live in Northern California, and when we experience drought, there's a lot of pressure that's put on residents to conserve water, and and we always rise to the occasion when it comes to the water use at home, at work. We're all trained to do it. Um, But generally speaking, industrial needs for water outpaces human consumption in many cases. Talk to us about how your company, Suez, works with industrial partners to be better water stewards. Well, yeah, industry, power generation, they're all very thirsty and they they tend to be growing to support growing populations. Um, So when you look at what industry is facing, I think it's broken down into two pieces. Really, they're tasked with removing contaminants from their waste stream and then lowering their water footprint and impact on their local watersheds. On the contaminant side, technologies exist, and we work with industrial customers to treat these streams and reduce pollution. On the water side, we're really helping facilities look at their water footprint and uses and help them come up with solutions to recycle in their facility um, for purposes in, in areas like cleaning, cooling water, boiler operations or steam generation, manufacturing. And, and now we're seeing a trend more and more to using that recycled water in process or product streams. Um, there's also this interconnection that exists um, now between municipal treated wastewater and industry. Um, and just like what Patrick and his team are doing, um, they're, they're sending that reclaimed water and linking the, the municipal systems with the industrial systems um, to feed some of this and to reduce the, the freshwater needs in the area. You know, I, I think one of the things that's really clear is that um, – like it or not, <laughs> this is going to be a necessity. Recycled water is going to be an important component of, of our water supply. But Patrick, I'm sure you've run into this. We run into it where I live as well. There are uh, members of the public who are very wary of consuming recycled water. And we talk about direct potable reuse. How do you think water agencies need to deal with that in order to help maximize and optimize, you know, what recycled water could do for our communities? Yeah, that's a very important question because there is, uh, uh, undoubtedly, Jill, there is a uh, yuck factor um, Mm -hmm. question around recycled water. Um, And some people, and there's a great deal of uh, really misinformation out there about recycled water. Uh, you can't simply say, you know, well, if you're in the in the space station, if you're an astronaut, you'd be up there for six months at a time, and you you, you can uh, imagine how the water is. Uh, if they're not bringing it any new water, they're recycling mm-hmm. the water they have on the mm-hmm. space station. But you really need to, for the general public, education is absolutely critical. It's extremely important, obviously, and so the more people you know that understand where our water comes from. 
you know, the challenges we face today in protecting our, our natural resources, the impacts of climate change, and uh, but importantly, the, uh, the uh, impressive technology that is available to clean our water to these very, very high standards, including to, to, to uh, all the way to drinking water standards. So then the more people will become more comfortable, the more education you have, the more people will become more comfortable with both the need and the quality. So in our case, we reached thousands of people through our school education programs and uh, general public tours of our facilities. Um, during the pandemic, we were able to pivot and, and, and adapt over to uh, virtual classes and tours um, and where people can see the advanced treatment technology, clean the water, they can see it firsthand. Um, we even let our visitors sample uh, the water that uh, goes into the groundwater basin to see how good it tastes. So I just can't emphasize enough education, transparency, um, access to our meetings. Uh, all of our meetings are public and, and taped and uh, videotaped, and um, we encourage the public to uh, to participate, and they do. And we, we see a growing understanding and acceptance in Southern California and, and trust in, in uh, recyc- the, both the need and, and the quality of the recycled water. That's great, Patrick. I, I think I think it, it it's incumbent upon uh, you know the agencies to do that heavy lift, you know, to to do that education and be relentless about it. Otherwise, you know, you're really going to have a tough time getting the public on board. And I think that's great to hear all the different ways that you're doing that, Stephen. For our listeners who are curious about the technology involved in recycled water, talk to us about the products and the solutions that your company offers. Um, okay, so yeah, as I mentioned before, technologies are tasked with removing or reducing constituents, so organic matter, nutrients, particulates, trace chemicals, pathogens, dissolved salts, um, and really stitching those technologies together to have a flow sheet that achieves your, your treatment objectives. So when you break it down in, in terms of the, the groups of technologies, um, we have biological treatment options such as membrane bioreactors, biofilm reactors, biological filters. These target organics, nutrients, particulates, and pathogens. Um, another element is that we have filtration technologies, like ultrafiltration membranes, which target particulates, nutrients, pathogens. Um, reverse osmosis membranes, um, which really are looking at, at, you know, along the elements that, that the UF or the ultrafiltration, sorry, I'm trying not to use acronyms, but the ultrafiltration membranes remove, we're also targeting the removal of dissolved salts and trace chemicals, um, similar to what Patrick was saying before. Um, we have separation technologies like electrodialysis reversal membranes, um, which offer high recovery removal of dissolved salts. Um, then we have disinfection technologies such as ozone, ultraviolet right, light, which target the trace chemicals and the pathogens as well. So like I mentioned, um, there's a lot of innovation in terms of stitching these together, combining these. Um, You can combine elements like ozone and biofiltration to target trace chemicals. Um, And and there's many other innovations that are happening to start building out these flow sheets to, to reach your treatment objectives. Mm-hmm. Patrick, shifting gears just a little bit, you know, you serve a lot of coastal communities. If if my mapping is correct, I was looking at your service area. You've even got Malibu. I mean, and, and I know the folks in Malibu value their coastlines. Anybody who lives near a coastline sure does. How does recycling water impact coastal areas? 
Um, it's enormously uh, positively uh, helpful to coastal communities. And yes, we do serve uh, the city of Malibu and Redondo Beach, Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach. Um, some of the, uh, you may have heard of those cities, so we're, yes. that's a big part of our service area. <laughs> it sounds like I'm name dropping there, but that's part of our service area. <laughs> and um, But uh, yeah, as far as the impacts on the coastal areas, they're very positive in the following ways, I would say. So normally, um, those cities just, they sit right on the Santa Monica Bay, world-famous Santa Monica Bay, right? So the wastewater from the city of Los Angeles gets treated at this plant called Hyperion, uh, and it discharges the uh, treated sewage into Santa Monica Bay. We are intercepting that supply and recycling a big portion of it, about 15%. Okay, so that's helping protect the environment, Mm-hmm. Uh, in the bay, uh, which is heavily used and, and, and protected by these communities, not just Malibu, but all of them, and just in the in the relatively in the, in, in water years, relatively short time that we have been doing this recycled water program, the past thirty years, we have recycled two hundred and fifty billion. That's what the B two hundred and fifty billion gallons. Okay, so that's wow. two hundred and fifty billion gallons of recycled water that we didn't have to import that water. We took the, the pressure off of that portable su- supply, and there's a big carbon footprint to that. Uh, it's 250 billion gallons of partially treated sewage that didn't go into Santa Monica Bay, right? Wow. And wow. remember what I said, our, our biggest customer for, for the water is the seawater intrusion barrier. So then we are injecting the uh, water into the seawater barrier, which is protecting the aquifer that lies along those coastal communities, most of them. Uh, we're protecting it from seawater intrusion or contamination from, from salt. And at the same time, we're replenishing that aquifer that's been depleted for, for decades. So it's um, on every front. It benefits the coastal uh, communities and, and beyond. That is fantastic. You know, Stephen, I'm wondering what kind of monitoring and quality control measures will be needed to ensure that direct potable reuse is safe 24-7? Well, so as mentioned, the state's working with all of the, the stakeholders to implement regulations and a means of implementing direct potable reuse for, for 2023. Um, so I go to that framework um, to, to sort of answer this question, and they really identify sort of five major provisions to ensure the, the public health protection. Um, the first is centered around the organization and a responsible party. Um, and in this, they're really looking at forming um, a group that is responsible for, so I think they call it a direct potable reuse responsible agency. Um, the second major provision there is, is around chemicals control. So this is to deal with known, unknown chemicals and chemical peaks. Um, they, they, there they propose multi-barrier and types of removal, um, mm-hmm. so combining oxidation separation technologies um, in order to remove or separate out these, these chemical constituents. Um, they've increasing <clears throat> water quality monitoring um, they're looking at peak attenuation, and they're also looking at, at source control to um, have that, that chemical piece um, well dealt with. The mm-hmm. third piece is the pathogen control. Um, so they're really setting the bar high um, for really extreme removal of these elements that could be dangerous to, to human health. Um, and including guidance on what the elements of those treatment trains should require. The fourth mm-hmm. piece is monitoring and control. 
mm-hmm. uh, where they'll focus on the response time to ensure that actions are taken in, so that the treatment uh, meets the requirements at all time. Mm-hmm. And the last piece is, is, I think, tend to be forgotten, but really ensuring that you have a, the technical, the, the TMF, they call it, but the technical, managerial, and financial capacity to implement, to operate and to maintain such a facility to ensure mm-hmm. public health is protected. So including funding programs and ensuring that, that operations, um, that the right level of operators exist and that they're there 24-7 as well. Yep, that's going to be kind of like a basically a control room, 24-7 monitoring. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have more with Patrick and Stephen, so don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in. This is a hugely important topic. And if it it isn't immediately apparent why we need to be thinking about recycling our wastewater, um, it's going to become more apparent. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you go to drought.gov, all you got to do is scroll down and look at the map and see how much of the country is super duper dry. And again, All the science tells us this is going to be much more the norm than the exception. We can't waste a single drop of water. And what we've been talking about today is the science and the technology that will help us recycle our wastewater so that not one drop is wasted. Um, Patrick, one of the things that we've talked about on Go Green Radio before, and this kind of touches on something Stephen mentioned about the conveyance of water uh, being such an issue, but, you know, there's so much energy involved in moving and treating water, particularly in California. And on the flip side, there's so much water involved in our energy production. How do you think recycled water might impact the water energy nexus? Uh, Absolutely. Incredibly important uh question uh, to understand. So um, I'll start by saying the, the, the California Energy Commission in a study a few years back found that the water-related energy uses use approximately 20% of all the electricity in California and 30% of the non-power plant natural gas in the state. That's a staggering number. Um, how, where recycled water 
plays a very positive role here. Recycled water is, is local, like we've been saying. It's where the water's been used, so now we're, instead of dumping it in the ocean, we are recycling it. It's a recyclable, local, sustainable supply. And yes, it does require energy to treat the water, uh, you know, with technology such as reverse osmosis, like I mentioned, um, at a, uh, for some of our types of water that we serve, which is typically more energy intensive, re- reverse osmosis, that is. But in general, recycled water doesn't have the impacts associated with long-distance conveyance, uh, pumping it from one end of the state to the other, up over mountains, and and, and, and certainly not for just a one-time use. So at our plant in, in El Segundo also, we have solar power that provides part of the uh, energy for the plant. And um, our energy provider has a, you know, a renewable energy portfolio that benefits our environmental sustainability efforts. Also, I would say I worked in, um, in, in prior lives but all in, in involving recycled water and energy with um, installing massive uh, solar projects, wind, power, all at recycling plants, all at water recycling plants here in Southern California. And at Irvine Ranch, my last place of um, employment before I came to West Basin, uh, we put in, um, I worked with Susan Kennedy, you may remember her, chief, former chief of staff for of Governor Schwarzenegger and mm-hmm. Governor Gray, a very unique uh, <laughs> to be able to have a chief of staff, one governor is one thing, but two two governors from two different parties. But Susan had a business um, in, that she developed for battery storage. So uh, recycled water plants, you know, their energy, you can you can charge these batteries and use the stored energy when it's cheaper from the uh, at nighttime and let more available, and then use it to, to treat the water during the daytime. So, yeah, I think... Recycle water, it's local, it uses less, and the uh, more and more plants are using a, a component of, of, uh, of renewable energy, fuel cell, wind, solar, if, if the space is there for it, and battery storage. So it's, mm-hmm. it's very important in, in the water, net- water energy nexus um, uh, you know, scenario. Absolutely, absolutely. Stephen, you know, I, a lot of our listeners are uh, folks who work in government, you know, people who are either elected officials or staff members of a variety of different uh, government agencies. And I want to be sure that they know um, all that your company does and, and where you work and the many places um, within and, and, and outside of California. Help us understand the scope of your company's work in case, uh, you know, some of our listeners want to call up your company and say, maybe you could help us like you have been helping Patrick. Yeah, thanks, Joe. We, we, we encourage everybody to, to reach out um, to, to understand how we can help them better solve their challenges. But we really are a global company, so we work in a large number of countries around the world. Um, we work with municipal and industrial customers. Um, we focus on the supply of advanced technologies and equipment. We deploy service assets to help with emergent water needs and provide bridge treatment solutions. We deploy services to support industry with chemical solutions. We own, operate, maintain treatment plants. Um, really, we're, we're focused on solving our, our customers' water challenges. So I'm happy if people want to reach out to me. Um, they're also able to check our website, um, www.suezwatertechnologies.com. Um, we're on Twitter at Suez Water Tech. Um, also LinkedIn. So any of those are, are good ways to reach out um, and have us help you solve the water challenges that you have. 
That's awesome. And I imagine it's a, probably a pretty cool place to work, too, because uh, a lot of our listeners are also uh, college students or people who are young in their careers. They're looking for uh, jobs in this exact kind of technology. So it sounds like uh, a pretty amazing place to be on the, the cutting edge of some of the most important things we're going to do in the 21st century, which is keep clean water flowing. So um, I definitely want to make sure that our listeners understand, you know, the the scope of what you guys do. Um, Patrick, you know, by and large, water is pretty cheap in the U.S. And sometimes I worry that because of that, it's undervalued. Um, I know that in my own community, every time there's even a hint that water rates or sewer rates may go up, people show up at public meetings to speak against it. Do you think we have a problem with water pricing in the U.S.? Well, that's a, that's a very, it's a very complex issue. I think, um, like for instance, in, in this particular moment in time, people are really, some people are really struggling financially right now. And the the pandemic has shown us how you know vulnerable some communities are or can be. So uh, to say wastewater is cheap could be a matter of you know perspective. Mm-hmm. And you know remember water is a human right and uh, essential. It's essential yeah. for human survival. Uh, at the same time, in a place like Los Angeles, we have to ask ourselves you know uh, if we really understand the full value of water and remind ourselves of that and what it takes to get it to our taps. Mm-hmm. Uh, rate, rates often fund, uh, you know, projects uh, for infrastructure investments and, and that safeguard a community's economy and quality of life. And as our own district, and we're a nonprofit, we're a public agency, our own mm-hmm. mission is to simply to supply a safe and reliable supply of water. So um, and I, I think part of the, 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 when it comes to, you know, rates and, and, and the actual value, the good value of water Public education and communication is very important in this arena as well for raising awareness about the, the purpose and the need for any particular rate adjustment and, uh, you know, for helping, you know, communities be, be aware of the water or if it's wastewater services provided to them before it is time to ask for any kind of adjustment. So it's a very, it's a, it can be a tough issue, but it's, it's, um, it's a matter of making sure people understand what the rates are, what the monies are, are being used for and how it brings them safe and reliable water supply. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, we have just a minute left before we have to say au revoir. Um, Stephen, what final thoughts would you like to leave with our listeners? Well, I think that people should understand, and I think we've we've touched on a lot of this, is that we're we're moving from a use and discard world to a a circular one. Mm-hmm. Um and and I think water is a is a big part of that. Um I, I think that that people should understand I, I if if they got one thing from this is that you know water water's finite and and all water is recycled. So um well said. To, absolutely. To, yeah. Uh, you know, I, could, I wish we had a whole nother hour to talk. This has been an, a fascinating and amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with Marco Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green.
get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.